0: Thanks, Dan. Good morning, everybody, again. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can go to Galatians chapter 3. We will get there in a while. <laughs> the other references will be up on the screen for you. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and I'm really thankful for the opportunity to address you this morning from the Word of God. We're in a sermon series called City on a Hill And today, we're going to be looking, in a sense, at the real power source, the light uh, that enables us to shine the light uh, in and through our lives. So I want to be careful how I introduce this particular topic this morning. Uh, Preachers can be prone to overstatement for effect. It's like your point's not very good, but you just say it loud and hope that it lands a little better. (laughs) Do try to avoid that. Uh, (laughs) I work hard to avoid that. Sermons also can be preached and heard in such a way where like all truth is exactly the same. It carries the same weight. Um, that's actually an error. You know, we, you know, everything in the Bible is important, yes, but not all truths carry the same weight. And if that, you know, makes you a little uncomfortable, just listen to the words of Jesus who made the Pharisees a little uncomfortable with this statement. <laughs> Woe to you, which is a judgment to you, Pharisees, hypocrites. It's like, oh, okay. You tithe your mint, your dill, and your cumin. Like, they're so careful to tithe their spices, and yet you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So there, you hear it? Jesus says there's some things in the law that are weightier, more important than others, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. He's not saying you shouldn't be careful to tithe appropriately, but... You've neglected the others, you blind guides, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. (laughs) I love following Jesus. So those are strong words. And my point in using that little uh, conversation there with Jesus and the Pharisees is to have us consider that what we're going to consider this morning is a topic that's one of those bigger, weightier kind of like all-inclusive topics and uh, that we really need to see clearly if we're going to be a city on a hill. It's the kind of conversation, and again, I'm trying to say these things carefully, that can literally reshape your entire experience of Christianity. And not just individually uh, reshaping our Christianity, but also reshape New cities experience of Christianity as a church family together. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're a seeker, you're trying to figure this Jesus stuff out, this is going to be really important to see, well, what is this whole following Jesus thing about? And so it's perfect for you as well if that's the category you find yourself in. And I, you know, I'm kind of setting myself up here for failure, I know, because it's like, man, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> One more just kind of uh, descriptional context for it. This reality that we're going to talk about this morning, the Apostle Paul describes as unsearchable riches. And so that's, you know, quite an offer. So I'm not up here talking about, you know, this is not a get rich quick or get rich at all (laughs) sermon. But what is going to be communicated tonight. This topic is, is so wonderful. Paul says it's unsearchable riches. It's the kind of stuff that money can't buy. I think a lot of us in the room would think, my life would be at least a little bit better if I had more money. Raise your hand if you thought that. No, no you don't have to. And Paul's saying here, this has nothing to do with monetary currency but what he is proclaiming and announcing, city after city and country after country, we would say now, is unsearchable riches. It's, it's the stuff money can't afford. Real peace. Real joy. Forgiveness of sins. You can't get enough money to get those things. And Paul's saying, I've got the key. In a sense, I've got the secret. He calls it a mystery. And so what is that thing What are we going to be talking about? We're going to be talking, of course, about Christ himself, but also this incredible privilege of grace that for those who turn away from their sins and give themselves to Jesus, Jesus promises to unite himself. You're united with Christ. There's a union that every believer in Jesus has with Jesus himself. There's this unbreakable connection. And that's what we are going to be speaking about this morning: union with Christ. And it does have the power to reshape our lives, and it's got the power to reshape communities, everything, reshape the world. And so that's why I want to talk about this in a sermon series about the city on a hill. If we're thinking about you know being a city on a hill where the light and love and uh, grace of Jesus, in a sense, emanates out from us, we're not the power source. He's the power source, but, and it's a beautiful caveat, He's the power source, but we're united with Him. And so we're going to see that this morning, Lord willing. I'm going to (laughs) try to describe this to you this morning. And then out of that's going to flow, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the different values of New City Church. You know, the value, how we value worship and community, faith and life interaction, justice and mercy, and the advance of the gospel. All of those values, and even our mission and vision that we talked about last week, in a sense, flow in and out of this reality of union with Christ. And so, you know, having said all that by way of introduction, I feel like I just need to pray again. And then we'll jump into a couple different categories of how to get at this huge and beautiful topic. Father, thank you for revealing this truth to us. Revealing, first of all, who Jesus is. And then revealing to us that we can be united with him. And so I pray, just for strength and help, that you would open our eyes to see this. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time but to see Jesus more clearly and the incredible privilege and grace that it is to be joined with him into his body. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to look at this in four headings. Uh, We'll see what we get through here. There's a lot to this. As I said, it's a big topic. It's kind of like scaling a mountain. It's like, how do you get at it? Um, And so I want to look at Union with Christ described. I'm going to try to describe it to you. We're going to survey it. That's a difference. The description will be in a couple different categories. And then with the survey, I just want to see, I want you guys to kind of get a little bit of the lay of the land, like how big actually is this topic of union with Christ? So that will be the second uh, point. And then I want to show us the value of it. And then finally, I want to try to apply it. And so we got a little bit of work to do, so let's jump right in. First, union with Christ, trying to describe it. And the First thing, you know, for us, we want like a detailed description of like, okay, well, what is this, the actual relationship of it? And it's like, would be similar to be saying, ex- describe and define the exact relationship that you as a parent have with your child. It's like, um, well, I can kind of lay it out for you, but like exactly, or like a husband and a wife. And so it's there is, I want you to know that this, part of the beauty actually of union with Christ is that you can't fully describe it. It's not even something like, it's not even just intellectual. You know, that's the one thing I've prayed over and over. Dear God, I pray the sermon is not just intellectual. There's like experiential power. That's the deal. That's where the rubber meets the road. And so if you're here and you're kind of disgruntled or bored with Christianity, then yeah, union with Christ is for you because Christianity, in its essence, is union with Christ. And if you're united with Christ, it's not boring. It's powerful. It's dynamic. He's alive. You're alive. I mean, the room was alive when we were singing Made Alive. So this, you know, union with Christ, you can't fully, you know, for those of us that really like detailed descriptions of exactly how everything works, it's going to be a little bit disappointing. But it's actually not disappointment. It's actually beauty and glory. There's more to it than we could even figure out. That being said, let's try to look at a little bit of it. First, the union with Christ is a spiritual union. And so I think you got this verse up here on the screen. Yep. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> God's spirit joins and unites with your spirit. And we take this stuff for granted. Probably many of you Christians in here probably believe that. But it's like, do we really believe that? That God's spirit is joined to my spirit? <laughs> we, come on. Someone say amen to that. That's amazing. Now describe that, Mike. I'd rather sit down and let everyone else come try <laughs> It's a spiritual union. And so, when you think about that, it's your heart, your mind, your soul, all of that, that, that non-material, non-physical part of you, which is kind of like the essence of who you really are, that's how close God's presence is to you. You don't have to reach out to touch. It's, he is already there, internalized. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, that that you become God. There's been, you know, uh, church history errors of deification. This is not the process whereby we become partakers of the divine spirit in that full kind of a way. Nor is God absorbed into us. Again, one of the images that's used really, really well is the image of marriage that highlights union with Christ. And so, you know, even as I preach this sermon, I've been married to my wife for 20 years. I can hear her saying things in my head. Don't do it that way, Mike. Easy over there, Mike. I'm not her, she's not me, but our relationship is so unified and so close that when I say something, I can hear her voice, and vice versa. So it's not talking absorption here, but there is a deep, it is a bit mysterious, but core union, that we as believers have with Jesus. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, that's awesome. All right, I got to keep going. Secondly, this union is something that reshapes and re, uh, like a re foundation, actually, it's a new foundation for our identity. Identity is a big word right now, it's a big theme in our culture, which is great. Listen to this, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, the word baptism there is immersion, okay, that's this idea of being, in a sense, united spiritually, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. Were all of those different groups in that church? Of course they were in that church. What's Paul saying is that in Christ Jesus, now you're all one. Your deepest, most foundational way that you should understand yourself is no longer based on regular human categories. The the big way that the Bible talks about this is you're either in Adam, he's the first human, and all of humanity has fallen in him, or you are in Christ, he's the second Adam, the new man, and now you're in him and you're identified with him what belongs to adam rebellion sin curse judgment and death what belongs to christ righteousness goodness truth beauty everlasting life that's your identity <clears throat> no longer do you understand yourself that your allegiance you know this is we give ourselves these categories we give our allegiance We understand our location to be there. This is the the circle. This is the group, so to speak, that I'm in. and I identify myself, and Paul's saying no. What happens when you're united with Jesus is those categories, they're not completely dissipated, so to speak, but they're dismantled, and you're set free from them, and now your identity is in Christ. I think of it this way. (laughs) My past is now... Christ's past. All the things that I've done in my past that are sinful and shameful and wrong and rebellious are broken and gone. My sin has been erased. (laughs) My wife is telling me, don't sing that next line. I'll never be the same. Sorry, babe. My past, and it's not just that mine is erased. It's replaced with the accomplishments of Christ. How righteous was He? How good was He? How faithful was He? That's my identity. And my future belongs to Christ. Romans 8 says that I am a co heir with Jesus. What is Jesus' inheritance? Just the world, that's all. And my present belongs to Christ. Coming on Christmas here, Advent season, what is his name? Emmanuel. God is with us. Past, present, and future, I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. That's what's most foundational to me. And it was interesting as we were singing, I'm like, man, I don't know so many people in this room, but apparently these people love Jesus And so I feel kinship and fellowship because your deepest identity, if you belong to Christ, is the same as mine. That's who I am. That's who we are. That's union with Christ. Closely related to that, the next one is incorporation. These come from a theology book, by the way, a guy named Colin Campbell, well-written book on this. These categories, or he just tried to sum these things up and put hooks for us to try to capture all that's going on. You do. I forgot to say this, you know, the, the phrase union with Christ or in Christ or in the Lord or in him, depending on which you know, how you count that, but anywhere from 160 to 215 times in the New Testament. <laughs> you know, when we're talking about the weightier matters, so when something happens 200 times in the New Testament, we should be paying attention. So just trying to put these in categories to help describe it. So thirdly is incorporation into Christ. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And so I don't just understand myself myself. You know, that my identity is not just individual anymore, as I just got done kind of saying, that identification kind of bleeds into this incorporation one where now I recognize myself as belonging to a specific group of people, the body of Christ. And so that, you know, we're in the new members class, Discover New City, we're talking about this, these are my people. You know, it's interesting when Jesus was, um, you know, teaching and preaching and uh, the crowds, the house was full, and someone came in and said, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus said what? He said that those who do the will of God are my mother and my brothers. And so this idea of union with Christ, not only does it give me a new identity in and of myself, so to speak, but it also gives me a new family, a new people to belong to. And not just any people. Romans 8 says that the whole creation, it personifies creation as a a human being, is just waiting with bated breath until the sons of God are revealed. That's going to be the glorious day where, you know, in a sense the people of God are vindicated and honored. That day is not today, but that day is coming, and that's the the group that we've been incorporated, not just individually into Christ, but corporately into Christ. I would say this is probably the thing that, got Paul, he, he talks about union with Christ, the uh, Apostle Paul, author of half the New Testament letters, got him into thinking about union with Christ was the day he became a Christian. Some of you guys remember, raise your hand if you know that story of how Paul became a Christian. Raise your hand so I know I'm dealing with. All right, that's good, most of you. When he was on the way to Damascus, so he was a, a persecutor of the church, he hated the church because he believed it was dishonoring Israel's scriptures, And so he was chasing Christians from Jerusalem to Damascus to put them in prison and to persecute them. On the way there, Jesus appears to him in a vision and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul never touched the body of Jesus. He wasn't one of them responsible for that. That Moment, he must have relived over and over and over in his mind. Why are you persecuting me? To persecute the people of Christ, the union is so tight that to harm the people of Christ is to harm Christ Himself. That's the principle of incorporation. And this will completely revitalize the way we serve one another when you realize that the people that you're serving aren't just like, you know, regular Joe and Janes. They're in Christ. And so to serve them, Jesus receives that as worship. That, I mean, think about how that would change everything from You know, kids ministry, or man, I don't want to do this, or I'm, you know, okay, I've done this all my life, and maybe, you know, maybe I've gotten recognized. Don't worry. Jesus sees it all, and He receives it all. It will totally reshape how we think about service. Anyway, last part of the description is participation. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I think I've quoted this verse every time I've preached here on this stage. (laughs) Like, is that a thing for you? Yeah, this, this is kind of a, this is my jam right here. I'm crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Really profound that Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Was he physically crucified with Christ? No, of course not. But he is talking about a spiritual reality that when you believe in Christ, part of you dies. Which is a little bit of the like, whoa, like when you're investigating and thinking about Christianity, it's like, whoa, that's strong. It is. But it's also really good news. Just give you a brief, you know, in my own little life here, you know, I was pretty competitive. And when that competition didn't always go well, I got really angry, and I had a pretty violent temper. And so as I came to Christ and came to grow in Christ, he powerfully overcame that in me, mostly, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Just being real, okay? We live between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus means that powerful realities exist. He hasn't returned yet, so it's like I've used this illustration before. Uh, some of the training folks, I'm sure, have heard that. It's like it's like in the movie where the the bad guy is like mortally wounded, and the good guy thinks he's dead. He's like, "No, he's not dead. Make sure he's dead." You know, that's how like the old nature can be. And so, most of the anger and competition is dead, but I got to keep my eye on him, You know, <laughs> I think. But. Um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> the, that felt like a death to me. That's where I was. So that happened between high school and college. And high school, you know, I kind of prided myself on being that kind of competitive person. And then when I got to college, I was like, well, I don't really care if we win. It's like, oh, well, hey, you know, hey. I'm like, who am I? Like, honestly, I was like, I was a bit disoriented. I had to learn how to like compete again with Jesus as my Lord and not me as my Lord. Does that make sense? And so when you come to Jesus, you will experience these deaths. And you know, it'll be it's your thing. You know, Jesus knows you. That's not the He knows you. And it can be disorienting. But then He replaces that with His presence in His life, and it's so much better. So the good news of Jesus. Us is not just that Jesus died for you, that's amazing. But if you're a Christian, the good news is that you died with him. And the good news is not just that he rose again for you, but now you've been raised to walk in newness of life with him. And so there's this participation that we have in Christ. And so, again, this is just kind of trying to describe what this relationship is like it's a spiritual union. Reshapes our identity. We're incorporated into the body of Christ, and we participate in the events of Christ. And At the end, we're going to talk about how we participate in the ongoing work of Jesus. The participation is not just past. I believe and know that Jesus wants to do things in central Delaware today and tomorrow, and he's going to do those things that he wants to do through his people. We participate with Jesus now as well. That's union with Christ described at least a little. Let's go to union with Christ surveyed. This will be the most brief. Basically just trying to give you the lay of the land. How broad is this? So in Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read this for you. I don't think I have this on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2 And verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay? Paul says, You were dead in your sins. We sang this. I think we'll probably sing it again at the end. <laughs> hint, hint. <laughs> it's not on the schedule, but it might be now. <laughs> you were dead in your sins, and now you've been made alive. And for you grammar nerds out there, he uses an apposition, okay? Which means the next sentence is just going to describe what he just said in different words. Everyone say apposition. apposition. See, you just got grammar today. You go home and go to church. What, what was church about? Grammar. No. <laughs> apposition. There you go. You've been made alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So when Paul thinks about what does it mean to be saved... Paul thinks to be saved means to be united with Christ. We think about being saved a lot of times, not only, but a lot of times as being forgiven and getting to go to heaven. Those are different. They're part of it, but the reason you can be forgiven is because you're united with Christ. And the reason you get to go to heaven is because you're united with Christ. To be saved is to be united with Christ. So we're trying to survey this. How big is union with Christ? Well, it's like all of salvation big. So you think about some of the words. These are churchy words. So I'm sorry if you're new, but bear with you. you know, if you want to know what they are, come talk to me a little bit later. I'd love to talk to you. Justification, to be declared righteous. That's in Christ. No justification. If you're not in Christ, there's no justification to be born again. Regeneration. Titus chapter 3 says that regeneration for us is in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. Being made more like Jesus. That's in Christ. Every wisdom in Christ. Righteousness. It's all in Christ. And so if we don't have a category for our union union with Christ as summing up all of those things, then we're going to kind of be kind of a little deficient in how we understand what Jesus is trying to do in and through us so all of what it means to be saved is in Christ I would say that not me but scripture would say the highest goal of our salvation is none other than to have a perfect relationship with Christ you know if Jesus isn't in heaven then who wants to go that's the point of heaven that's the goal of Christianity, is to know Christ more fully. You can start talking about like the two uh, rituals that God gives to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both of those are reflecting union with Christ. And so it's like category after category, thing after thing after thing. What I'm trying to help us do this morning is saying, okay, I really need to give myself to understanding and applying, feeling, and experiencing union with Christ because it's a huge category. The way I uh, heard or saw that it was, or read that it was described is as, as a web. It supports, it's like a life giving web that supports everything of our experience in the person of Jesus. Union with Christ surveyed. All right, we'll keep moving. Number three. Union with Christ valued. And I have this on the screen here. I'm going to read a few verses to you here from Philippians chapter 3. So I've kind of told you what it is. Again, tried to. Tried to explain a little bit how big it is. And along the way, I've tried to persuade you that it's a really beautiful and good thing. But now we're really going to center on that. Why should you care about union with Christ? Paul says to the church in Philippi, For we are the circumcision, that just means the true people of God, who worship by the Spirit and glory or boast in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. The flesh is our human achievements and our human effort. Though I myself would have reason to have confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying, I was a religious dude. Nobody was more religious than me. I had the right pedigree, I had the right parents, I had the right tutelage, I had the right teachers, I had the right zeal. I was all about it. And he had the prestige and honor that, uh, that were associated with it. So he says, if anyone had confidence before God to be like, hey, I'm good. Paul's saying that was me, okay? A little trash talk there. If you guys think you're better, you're not. (laughs) So anyway, I just think that's interesting. I think Paul's a pretty competitive guy. Maybe his competition was being redeemed. Who knows? Next one there. Oh, there it is, sorry. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and here it is, and be found, read it, in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Next one. So that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, Becoming like him in his death, there's participation. If by any possible means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So here's the Apostle Paul. And he is, in a sense, confronted by the risen Lord. Invited to come follow Jesus. And in a sense, he's got to count the cost. I'm going to have to lay all of this stuff down in order to know and be united with Jesus. And Paul says, it's not a decision. Which is, I know, if you're in the midst of that decision, you can be like, how can he do that? It's like, there's some of the mystery of that there. Brothers and sisters, friends, like, but that's just the reality. If you know Jesus in that way, then all of the accomplishments that you could have in the world would feel like, I mean, he's not like saying that rhetorically as a preacher. He's saying, I experienced this. I knew what it was like to have power and prestige and honor. And I know what it's like to know Jesus, and they don't compare. So it's like, (laughs) for me, I'm like, I want that kind of Christian. Like, whatever it is that we're talking about and offering, that's the thing. Union with Christ, the value of it. What did Paul get in that? He talks about it. He gets, when you are united with Christ, you get a righteousness from God which is even better than the righteousness that he had. And it's better than the righteousness you can have. You think about, yeah, I don't want to park here too long, but just forgive me for being offensive, but your righteousness is not enough. It's just not enough to save you from death. It's not enough to give to your children. It's not enough to support your spouse. It's just not enough. And it's like a hamster wheel. You just keep trying to do it over and over and over and over again, and you fall and you fall, and it's just like you don't get anywhere. It's not enough. Why is union with Christ so valuable? You get the righteousness of Christ as a gift. No more guilt, no more shame, no more striving. It's a gift. That's why it's valuable. At the end of the passage, he said that you attain the resurrection. (laughs) That kind of righteousness produces a resurrection. No amount of money, no amount of your righteousness, eternal life and a new heavens and a new earth. That's what union with Christ gives you. Anybody want that? Part of us are like, well, yeah, we kind of do, but we'd almost rather just have a really good life now. Oh man, red alert. (laughs) your heart isn't going, man, this world is broken and I'm broken, there's all kinds of suffering you're just trying to like retreat and get your own little kingdom for 60 years, that is not Christianity. Christianity is way bigger and more expansive. New heavens, new earth, new bodies, King of kings and Lord of lords dwelling in us and among us. So union with Christ's value is Christ himself, the righteousness he gives, uh, the resurrection that he promises. A little bit later in Ephesians, Like Just like two paragraphs later, he talks about two things that every single person in this room wants and that apart from Jesus is like trying to hold on to water. So in chapter 4, in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Paul's in prison when he's writing this, often noted. And he's saying he's commanding, what he's commanding is possible. Jesus said to his followers, I will give you a joy that the world does not know. I will give you a non-circumstance-based joy, an inner feeling of happiness. Even when circumstances are not what you want, because that joy is centered in the world. Lord, union with Christ. Because you have fellowship with Christ continually, there is always power and a reason to rejoice. You know, I think one of the, you know, and this is, again, I just heard my wife in my head in case you're wondering. (laughs) I mean, she's preaching half the sermon. You know, she's. She encourages me to, you know, smile. One of the things that is so compelling to other people in the world is when there is joy. Not a naive, glib, superficial joy, but joy. Why? Because of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So why is union with Christ valuable? I'm just listing a few things. Christ himself, (laughs) full stop, I guess. But after that, righteousness, resurrection, joy. (laughs) How about the end of that paragraph? He says, let your reasonableness known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Again, that's a union idea. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. And he doesn't stop there. He then says, in Christ Jesus. Union. So everyone in this room wants peace. We all have things to be anxious about. (laughs) You can be anxious about getting a thing. (laughs) Maybe you want a relationship and you're anxious that you're not in one, and then you can get in that, and then you can be anxious that you have it. You know, again, <laughs> I mean, about well, my own my own kid. We were are we going to be have kids? Yep, we are going to have kids. Thank you. Okay, we we're concerned. Okay, now we do. Now we have. Them. It's like okay, now we have them. <laughs> <laughs> so whether you're in the situation or you're out of the situation, there's reason for anxiety. And in Christ Jesus, Jesus sets up like a sentry, like a guard. He guards your heart and your mind. (laughs) Unsearchable riches is what I told you in the beginning. All the things that money can't buy peace, joy, love in Christ. I could talk about strength. Christ. Ephesians six says to be strong in the Lord. Maybe you think about yourself that you've kind of been a kind of more of a timid, maybe weak person your whole life. But in Christ Jesus, these you know these people that you would not expect they rise up and they're strong. I think of David and Goliath. He was in a sense the runt of his family. No one expected him to be the soldier. Goliath laughed at him and he said, "But I'm coming to you in the name of my God." Jesus gives strength to the powerless and the weak unsearchable riches. I cannot commend enough to you the reality that you are united with the living Christ. If you don't know him, I invite you into him. And if you do know him, it's like we're barely scratching the surface, which is not a confrontation. It's actually really hopeful. There's way more to it. Lastly, union with Christ applied. So, Dave and I spoke beforehand. We're going next week. <laughs> I can only, we will talk next week. I, I, I feel a little bad. Like I should have prepared the sermon better, honestly, so that I could talk to you about how to really access this. So I'm just going to like put a teaser out there. And then next week, we're going to spend a bunch of time figuring out how this actually happens okay so let me just uh, tease it this way saying how is someone united with Christ the first answer to that question we almost always think about cuz we're most of you probably in here not everyone but a lot of us in here are religious people <laughs> don't get offended you come to church a lot <laughs> Makes you religious. Now, if you're here, and you don't come to church. I'm super glad you're here. That's awesome. But here's how religious people. Okay, how do we do it? The question itself is not great. How do we do it? Eh. You don't. He does it first. He's the first move. And so think about the story of Jesus. Okay. So Jesus, he's born. He lives a perfect life. He dies. He rises again. He ascends to the Father, and this is the part that's often overlooked. When he ascends to the Father, he's got a, his, the first move that he makes is a big one. He sends who? The Holy Spirit onto the people who believe. That's the big story of the Bible, and that's your story. If you want to experience the power of the Spirit of Jesus by being connected with him, he sends the Spirit to you, and the Spirit is the one who makes you feel the joy. He makes you feel the peace. He gives you the power to be bold and the power to love and the power to receive. All of that's done by the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. The big story of the Bible matches your story. So then what we do is we respond with faith. When those first hearers, when Peter stood up to preach on that day of Pentecost and he announced the good news that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and he died on the cross for their sins and they believed they were flooded with the Spirit and the church exploded, that was union with Christ. That's the only reason Jesus can say, I am with you till the end of the age. What do you mean I'm with you till the end of the age? You just went to the Father's right hand. I'm with you through my Spirit. So how do you experience union with Christ? You experience union with Christ through the gift of God's Spirit. Thanks, Mike. It's not helpful. (laughs) So how do I experience the Spirit? Ah, through faith in Christ, day by day, week by week, moment by moment. And so, we're going to talk next week about what it means to have our hearts and minds renewed day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. This is good news. I mean, the Apostle Paul, if you're in here and you've been a Christian for a long time, I've addressed people who are at the beginning a few times. If you've been a Christian here for a long time, here's good news for you. The Apostle Paul wrote Philippians 3 when he was about 60 to 65 years old. So, if you're in that category, there's still room for you to grow. There's still way more to experience. It's not, it's not like, oh, well, you know, my, my best years are behind you. Not in Christ, they're not. Best years in Christ are in front of you. And so what it means to renew our hearts and minds by faith in the teachings of Jesus so that the Spirit is, in a sense, uh, instigated to flood our lives with the presence of Jesus. And what that produces, by the way, in the end is a church and you might say he didn't talk at all about being a city on a hill. That is how we become a city on a hill. When we are so to speak plugged into Jesus in this dynamic vital union, his life and his love and his light shines from us individually and corporately and we become the city on a hill that he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. I pray that you'd help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.